Uh, this morning we're going to study, and I'm really building off of what I was talking about at the end of the year, talking about the God's gifts and talking about His gift of grace. And we want to take that grace and do something with it, of course. And, and this time of the year in January, I'm often focusing on the subject of the new year, and the subject of repentance, things that we need to change in its way, as the way of our hearts and our minds. And I think using God's grace here and building on that is very fitting for us to talk about the subject of forgiveness, of releasing others uh, from the sins that they have committed against us, and what conditions that God gives us for doing that. It, what we will say here is that it is not something that is uh, strictly unconditional. It is uh, a forgiveness because God's forgiveness for us does have conditions, and we're going to see that here in our study this morning. But before we get into uh, Matthew chapter 18, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, that we wake up and we have another day. Another day that we can assemble uh, on a Lord's Day, that we can worship you, that we can be edified by your word, that we can stir one another to love and good works. Father, we ask that you help us to do that this morning. Father, we ask your blessings upon this first day of the week, that we will carry the gospel with us throughout the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. That, Father, we'll be an example and a light to the world around us. That we will see, that your, see the power of your message of, of your son, Jesus Christ, and see that change uh, in those who are around us. Uh, Father, we ask your blessings upon us now as we study the Scriptures and study the Bible. Help us to rightly handle the Scriptures and not to twist the text. Father, we ask that you bless this truth to lay upon our hearts and to change us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we look at the extent of forgiveness. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus talks about the blessings, the Beatitudes. And blessed, blessed by God are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, I need mercy. And I hope that you realize that too. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. If you've been married for anything, um, for even a month, you know you need mercy. Uh, you need that in your home. Um, if you grew up and you had siblings, you need mercy. Uh, whatever it might be, you need mercy and forgiveness. And the things that Christ gives us, a lot of times He doesn't just throw them right into the home or right into the context. We have to make that application and say, you know what, I need to give mercy in the context of the workplace, in my home, with my neighbors, uh, the person who's just cut me off in traffic. I need some mercy. Uh, and, and I need that mercy. The great thing is, is we have the ultimate source of mercy. Christ. And God. And so God has given us mercy through Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us. But I think that it's a shame when there are so many who say, oh, I believe in God and I believe in Christ and, I, and I've been saved. But yet they don't take that mercy and forgiveness that God has given to them and give it to others. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning from Matthew chapter 18 is a parable of Christ that teaches us adamantly the need for mercy. We need it in every part of our life of forgiveness toward others, of grace toward others. So we're going to draw some observations from Matthew 18. I've got them kind of filling a blank there in the bulletin. If you want to fill that out, we're going to go through that in a moment. But first, let's read from Matthew 18. And we're going to draw from the text. Matthew chapter 18, and beginning in verse 21. This is what we read. Then Peter came up and said, and said to him, that's to Christ, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy, seventy-seven times. Or seven times. He says seventy-seven times. Um, you know, that's an amazing thing to think about. To think about uh, how much that we are to forgive others. And so Peter has it in his head, well, if someone sins against me seven times, well then, is, is that the limit? How much am I to forgive? And so I can appreciate his thinking there. But we continue to read here, and we, we read, he says, but 77 times. And of course, I would take that as um, a hyperbole in itself. It's not limited to just 77 times, but that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Let's keep reading here, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you know how much a talent is? A talent is two bars of gold. Now, I know a lot of us, we might have 10 or 20 bars of gold at home. No, we don't. But when you think about that, 10,000 bars of gold, I mean, no, that's 20,000 bars of gold, 10,000 talents, you're talking about something you can't, you can't pay. So he owes that much debt. I don't know how he got in that kind of debt, but it serves for the purpose of the parable. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And even that would not pay for that debt. You know, even if they were all to be sold into slavery. Verse 26, And so the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So he's now begging for mercy. Verse 27, And he's promising to pay for everything. That's an amazing thought. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. Notice the word released. Released him of this debt. And forgave him the debt. That's a lot of forgiveness right there. All right? If anybody in here has any debt, you imagine being forgiven of of everything you owe on your house, everything you owe on student loans, whatever it might be, that your greatest debt. Um, This is far beyond that. And then look at verse 28. It says, But when the same servant went out, notice this, he was just forgiven. The same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You know, owed him about half a year's wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He did the same thing that the one who's now holding accountable, who was forgiven, I did toward the master, toward the king. And, and now this one's asking the same thing. Have patience with me. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers and until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly Father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are powerful words. You think about that. 
You think about somebody that you've been keeping a list on or tracking, uh, tracking them. You've been thinking about all the things that they've done to you that's, that's been wrong. And you know the debt. And, and I think that's an important thing here, is that sin here is pictured as debt. The sin that is committed against us um, is pictured as debt. And then the sin here that, we have a, that we've done to, against God is counted as debt, an unpayable debt. So what we see here, and I know some of the texts say 70 times 7 or 77, uh, but look here in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, we see that Jesus taught uh, his disciples, he's teaching Jesus, uh, te- sorry, Jesus teaching Peter to forgive sin against oneself 70 times 7, or 77 times, depending on how it's translated, that they are to release the debt, to forgive it. We also see this, that everyone has an immense amount of debt, that, a debt of sin here that's described here in the text, that no mere person can repay. And you already get the image here. I'm in debt to God. I cannot pay for what I've done, the rebellion. But God has been merciful to me. The illustration is quite clear that I'm the one in debt and that I've been forgiven. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from others? Think about that. That's clearly the message. And then God is merciful. We see He's merciful upon the debtors of sin and He releases them. The word for forgiveness in the Bible, the most common one, apolumi, has the idea of releasing. I think I said that wrong. But anyway, apoluo means to release. You're free from it. You're separated from that. It's no longer held against you. And I love that idea of of being forgiven, that God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me of all that I've done. He's released me from my sin and from my debt. That's a great feeling. A great thing to think about it. But I think it's also a very cruel disposition for someone who has been forgiven not to forgive the fellow servant. Not to forgive a fellow servant who is a, you know, accountable for debt to them. And someone has sinned against you. What do you do with that? You know, some would recognize that, yes, the person who sinned against me, that they, maybe they did it unintentionally or they've asked for forgiveness. And what do I do with that? You know, there are some, there are many who just hold it. There are places and even churches where people just carry that burden of an account saying, well, you know, this person did this back then and we can never trust them. What are you doing there? You're holding that debt against them. You're doing what God told you not to do and you're not being merciful. And you also know what it's like on the other end for somebody, somebody to never forgive you. For you to plead with someone, please forgive me of what I've done, and then never let it go. And here we have that basis that is in God that gives us freedom from this. We don't have to carry it around with us. Uh, and we also know that because God has forgiven us, that those who don't forgive us, is that it's more between them and God. The forgiven debtor's merciless cruelty we read about here, it did not escape the justice of a forgiving God. So here you had the forgiven servant who's going out and holding accountable his fellow servant, not using the forgiveness that God has given him, not using that mercy. So God still has justice. He is still just. And for someone who doesn't go and forgive others, you don't keep the grace of God. You've stepped out of it. You've gone away from the forgiveness of it. And we've got to keep that into an account. If I'm going to be the bold person who's always self-righteous, who's always keeping an account of what everybody's done against me, never forgiving anybody else, do you think that God's going to forgive you? 
When we read the sermon, an example of the sermons we read about in the Scriptures, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives instructions to His disciples on how to pray, He says there, you pray, you pray that God, you forgive me as I forgive my debtors. It's, there is a condition to God's grace. And some people say, well, you can't fall from God's grace. Well, if you go from being forgiven and forgiving others, and then all of a sudden you start holding account of everybody else as though you're righteous on your own, as though you're superior to others, you're stepping outside of God's grace. You're actually putting yourself in the place of God. You're acting like God when you do that. But God, God will deliver the merciless and unforgiving, it says here. From, he will deliver them over to the penalty of prison. This is clearly a picture of hell. Now, you've got to put that in perspective, too. If I'm the person who doesn't forgive others, I'm in danger of hell. I'm putting myself back into the fire. I'm rejecting the salvation that God has given me. God has saved you for you to get, take that salvation, to take that mercy to others around you. And then we see that command there at the end that everyone must or should forgive. Should is not even strong on us. It's definitely a must there, and I think that's what we have there in the bulletin is that everyone should forgive as God forgives. As God forgives. Now God, again, put that debt back onto that man who did not forgive. He had forgiven him, released him from it, but when he didn't take that with him, that debt went, went, went right back on him. And then he paid the penalty of it. So when you think about it as yourself, as a Christian, I've been forgiven. All my sins have been washed away when I was baptized into Christ and the blood of Christ has cleansed me. What am I doing with that forgiveness and that mercy? See, God's immeasurable forgiveness, it gives His servants the ability, it gives us the power and ability to forgive others. It does. And I think about that. You ever struggle to forgive someone else? God's forgiveness gives you that ability. The power to say, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. I'm going to live in, in love toward them. Now, we also know, and some have, have misused this in some churches, to say, well, if someone's openly living in sin, we should just continue to forgive them and never hold them account. No, the Bible tells us to hold account. When we are going to live in that kind of rebellious state, we need to be held accountable. In our home and in our family, this does not permit someone who is abusive to say, well, you must forgive me because I demand it and God has forgiven you. That's not it. You know, God forgives those who are forgiving, who are walking in the light. Those who are continuing to live by His grace. That's what, how God forgives. So the extent to which Christians forgive, we need to ask this question. To what extent? We want to forgive the way the Bible tells us to is to forgive the way that God forgives. This is a very revealing passage here. When Jesus gives instruction in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, which is our scripture reading this morning, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. Look at yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now the word here for rebuke doesn't mean a harsh rebuke. doesn't necessitate that. But when someone does something wrong against you, you need to go to them. We read about this later in Matthew chapter 18, just in the scripture we were just reading, that if someone offends you, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. And you talk to them and you say, listen, you did this and it offended me. You know, and you know this. You know this with loved ones. You know it with good friends. They'll say, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. I care about you. That's what they're going to say. I repent. I won't ever do that again. Those are things that would come out of the mouth of someone um, who values your friendship and your love. 
they're going to repent. It says, if he repents, notice this, because we have a statement here, if he repents, and then you have a statement later on, right after this, the next verse, he's going to say, if he confesses repentance. So we have a condition here. If he repents, forgive him. So forgiveness is conditional. And it is in the Bible, Acts chapter... uh, 2 and verse uh, 38, you know that one, and then Acts 3 and verse 19 says, if we repent, God will blot out all of our sins. He will forgive us of our sins. But it's conditional upon repentance. And so this forgiveness is not something for us to be abused by. I think some people are afraid to forgive others because they think if I forgive them, then they're going to abuse that. That they're just going to go and turn it against me. And I think that's what's going on in a lot of people's thinkings when, when they, they, refer, they refuse to have mercy upon others. But again, Jesus says, if he repents, forgive him. It's a command there. That's an imperative. If he repents, forgive him. How do you know that he repented? Are, are you going to give him a long length of time to prove it to you? You know, there are places in the Bible where we see that we need to show works of repentance. But in this case, look at what Jesus says. If he sins against you seven times in the day, Seven times in a day. This tells me something about God's forgiveness. If I sin against him seven times in a day and I go to him and I say, I repent, he'll forgive me. He'll continue to, to forgive me if I repent. It also tells me something else here. He says, if someone sins against you seven times in a day and he turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. There's the command. This also tells me something else. When you often hear someone apologize and you know it's not sincere, I've never heard anybody who, without lacking sincerity, say, I repent. They don't use those words. They'll say, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry you were offended. You know, you hear those kind of um, uh, insincere apologies. That's not what we're reading here. What we're reading here is someone who sins seven times in a day, and you might think, well, they're taking advantage of me, and they're kind of abusing me. And what am I going to do about this? And and Jesus says, this is the command, you forgive them seven times in a day. And if they come to you each time and say, I repent. Why? Because God forgives you in that way. That's how he forgives you. You ever thought about a really bad day that you had and you sinned once, twice, a dozen times? You know, I can think about that, especially as a teenager. I did this. Oh, I did this. You know, and I'm turning around praying to God, God, please forgive me. I repent. That's the, what we should be doing. And we need that repentance. We need that kind of grace. You consider some of the situations that a lot of people start thinking about. I, I don't know if I can, uh, I can forgive like that, the way that Jesus commands. Well, you need to learn to. Someone might say, what about the abuse from you know, an abusive spouse in a situation of marriage like that? And if they don't repent... Well, no, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that a woman should not leave her husband, and if she does, verses 10 and 11, she is to remain unmarried and separated from her. She can do that. She can come out of that situation. She can't, he doesn't have the right to hold that over her and say, oh, you've got to forgive me. I've heard people say about um, adulterous spouses, even within a church, that this uh, one congregation I heard of had a problem with adultery. And the leadership of the congregation kept telling the spouses who were being cheated on, don't do what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, and divorce your spouse. Even after they've done it so many times, every time they ask for forgiveness, you have to forgive them and then never divorce. Now, I, I hope that every time that, that that adultery occurred, that they were sincere and they said, I repent, then yes, forgive. 
But I think sometimes in that situation, there is abuse going on. So there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a confession and a statement of repentance there in forgiveness. Um, and, and it's not just asking and showing repentance and asking for repentance. We're going to see as well that there are times when people sin unintentionally against us. We know they didn't mean it. And what we see in the Bible, again, is they're already in the state of repentance. You must forgive them. So you would forgive them in that sense. I've heard individuals say that of someone who's murdered a loved one, um, you know, and that murderer refuses to repent. Well, do I forgive them? Well, they're going to be held accountable to God, and I think people mean different things when they say, I, re- I forgive that, that murderer. But you're not forgiving them and releasing them of the debt from God. What they did is wrong. And you're not putting yourself in a situation and allowing, uh, you know, you're not going to drop all charges against them and allow them to go on and murder other people. No. So that cannot be meant with, be what's meant by repentance. If we're going to release them, you know, someone is a murderer. For instance, the Apostle Paul said he was a murderer. He persecuted the church. He, he put, had Christians and voted for them to be put to death. But he repented and he changed. God forgave him. And so did the church. And it did take some time in that. So as you start thinking about these situations, it, it really brings into perspective the condition of which God has for forgiveness. Look at this. The neighbor who owes you something wants to repay you, but they can't. What do you do? Well, they want to. They want you to have patience with them. In the example we read in Matthew 18, forgive them. You know, no matter what the debt might be. A colleague who speculates or talks about you behind your back and says things about you, but they repent. What do you do? You forgive them. You don't have to sit down and say, well, you're going to make it up to me. If you make these certain kind of payments, I won't tell anybody. No, you don't extort them. You forgive them. You have mercy for them. The employee who pilfers and then repents, you forgive them. These are the things that we are taught that we should do. Now, of course, there's still consequences many times to our actions. A mere statement of repentance doesn't always take care of that. But it's between you and that individual and God's forgiveness of you, you forgive. And you forgive the way that God does upon repentance. Will forgiving others upon the confession of repentance open us to suffering? And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Well, if I forgive them, I might suffer more. You may. And the Bible even tells us that, that we are called to suffer like Christ suffers. That you endure that and God sees it and He will have mercy upon you. God will bless you. You go read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 17 and following. You're going to read about that. You're going to just read about God's mercy. And I think the number one thing that people do when they don't forgive is that they are so afraid, I might suffer. I might have to endure something. But I want you to think about this. What changed your life the most? To me, Christ has changed my life the most. His, the forgiveness that's through Him. And so when you take that forgiveness and give it to others, that's where you're going to actually change people. That's where you're going to have an effect upon somebody. When they've done wrong to you, and you forgive them. We have this example here in Matthew chapter 18 in regards to repentance and forgiveness. And this also puts in perspective the kind of discipline of which we must have. If someone's taking advantage of us, if we're suffering, if we're being abused by the situation, the Bible tells us to do this. Matthew chapter 18, 15, and 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You got that standard, two or three witnesses. Every charge established by two or three witnesses. 2 Corinthians 13.1 says this, no accusation is to be brought against an elder except by two or three witnesses. These are things that are throughout the Bible. You can read that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So here, you take the first step and you go and you confront them. Secondly, you bring one or two with you to be witnesses. And then he says, if he refuses to listen to them, he's refusing to listen, refusing to repent, refusing to recognize his own error against you, tell it to the church. Now, it doesn't say here, go tell it to the elders first. It says, you let it know to the whole body. You've got the witnesses. You've done your job. You tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So that person who's taking advantage of you, that won't repent, who won't confess repentance, won't do any kind of repentance, this is what you do. And then you treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. You avoid them. And the Bible tells us about that. So can we forgive everyone of our favorite sin? You know, there, this is often common today. A lot of churches will have a favorite sin. And it's not just churches. People in general have favorite sins. And they'll say, well, you know, I, I curse a lot. So you know, it didn't bother me if other people and other people in the church use profanity. You know, they rationalize it. Well, I, I think it's okay if I commit this sin. If I say these things. If I have a problem with gossip and they have a problem with gossip then we're just going to let it go. And so people have used these things to justify and say, well, not everybody can control their tongue and they can't do this. We want to make sure that we're not justifying our favorite sin and saying, oh, repentance is not needed. Repentance is needed. And that is why we are to forgive upon repentance. That is how God forgives us. Jesus taught to pray. He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You don't want to go before the Father having your own list, praying to God of all these things that you're refusing to forgive people of. Whether they've done it unintentionally or especially if they have changed. And yet you hold it against them. The Bible repeatedly tells us that God will not hear your prayer if you do that. Paul commands... In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So how am I to forgive? The way that God in Christ or God by Christ forgave you. We need to be forgiving people. We need to be merciful people. But that, does, that also means we don't compromise God's word and living in holiness. And we also see in one of the passages that comes to mind and probably the most abused passage in regards to forgiveness is in Luke 23 when Christ is on the cross in verse 34. And Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen said something very similar when he was being stoned to death. And so in this case, we're looking at those who are acted ignorantly, they acted unintentionally. And the prerogative was upon Christ that he could forgive in that situation. I think Christ also knows that the sin that they committed in crucifying Him was punishment in itself. And that many of those people that were standing there, they even, you could see the repentance in many of them because they went away thinking something went wrong. They beat their chest and they tore their garments. They knew something wrong had happened that day when Christ hung on the cross. And it's very fitting for Christ to say, forgive them for they know not what they do. He knew the extent of their heart. He knew many of them would come to faith that they would turn. 
I encourage you this morning, forgive as Christ forgives. Forgive those who repent. Forgive those who sin against you unintentionally. These are the things that we see in the Scripture. I would also think about this, and I think this is the hard dilemma that comes up. There are times in our life when we have to act in discipline, and there are other times when we need to act with forgiveness. And if I'm in one of those areas where I can't figure it out and I'm trying to weigh it out, should I discipline them? Should I avoid them? Should I rebuke them or should I forgive them? I believe the example we have in the Scripture is that I'm going to err on the side of forgiveness. So that is another thing to think about. Whatever you might be wrestling with this morning when it comes to releasing someone of a debt against you, follow that example. When does God forgive? Look at these Scriptures here. This will act as our... Our invitation. Acts 2 and verse 38. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. We've been forgiven in this way. All of our sins have been washed away. And as we continue to walk in the light, as we read about in 1 John 1 and verse 7, all of our sins are cleansed. John says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. There's great power in the mercy that God has given us. Blessed are those who are merciful, for you shall receive mercy. This morning, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, if you accept the mercy of God and His forgiveness, you can do that. You can confess your faith. You having repented of your sins. You can be baptized and rise up to the newness of life. You need prayers. You need instructions. You need to make make things right with those, with anybody around you. We encourage you to do so. I encourage you to come right now. Let's stand and sing.